Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Getaway Day, episode 10. Um, it is, or I am Mason. He is Gautham. We are here on Memorial Day. Um, so hopefully all you guys are having a great Memorial Day, uh, spending time with the family. Um, uh, and thank you to uh, any veterans, past, current, and future, for everything that you've done for us. Um, just to allow us to have everything that we do in life and live our lives the way that we do. Um, we are all thinking about you on this day, so thank you. All right, so this week uh, we are going to talk about uh, some of the interesting tidbits from uh, this week in baseball. And then Gautam and I are both very... Uh, uh, what's what's the word you would use? Um, mathematically, statistically conscious, mathematically conscious. Sure. Yeah, we are very anti short uh, or small sample size, and people love to make these big claims about players, seemingly on a whim, and they're all based on like cherry pick data from a day or two or three or maybe a month, but even then you don't know what's happening. So we're going to try and uh, pick out some of those myths and bust them and just kind of see what's real, what's not, now that we're two months in. And I think we can both say that small sample size is no longer a factor for a majority of players. And then um, we will finish up with a top five. So we'll get right into it. Uh, well, I guess before we get into it, um, Gotham, how's your uh, Memorial Day weekend been? Done anything fun? Uh, yeah, today I went on a walk outside, and I walked to my old high school uh, baseball field. There was a game going on, so I got a little um, through-the-knot-hole view of a high school baseball game, um, and it was pretty interesting. Uh, first off, there was like a ton of fans. They were all going crazy for this entire game. The dugouts were, like, yelling after uh, they made good pl good plays and everything. And I saw a couple things that really stood out to me from this game. One, um, a guy did a huge bat flip when he walked, which was pretty great. Um, and then second, a guy warming up in the bullpen. Um, he, he goes out to the, the bullpen on the, the side of the field and – Every pitch he makes, his hat falls right off his head. <laughs> it's the funniest thing ever. So hopefully uh, that didn't happen when he actually went in the game, but um, they may need to fit that guy with a, with a properly fitting hat in the future. Have you thought that maybe the school just can't afford to give that particular guy a hat that fits? Do you need to donate to the school's program? Uh, I think I'm going to hold off on that. Seems like they're doing pretty well. I looked them up. Um, Barrington High School is twenty and two this season, so jeez, seems like they they've uh, got some things going right for them so far. Well, then maybe if he had a hat that stayed on his head, he would uh, struggle pitching, and they yep, wouldn't that, be twenty. That might two. be the secret to their success. I mean, everybody's got to have something, right? Yep. But, yeah. Well, I didn't really watch a whole lot of baseball of any level this weekend. I uh, ended up just doing a ton of yard work. My uh, uh, parents and sister came over, helped me uh, paint the front door on my house, get some blinds hung up, did a crap ton of yard work. 
um, carried what is, was probably like two pallets of brick from one area of my backyard to another area of my backyard so that I could then work on the landscaping. Um, but yeah, so hopefully now I've got enough done that this week I could just binge baseball all week and not have to care. So yeah, that's the goal. All right. So that being said, I did catch a few things this week, um, and weekend. Um, but, uh, so this week, uh, there's, I'm not doing very good at transitions here today, am I? Wow. You'll um, get into it. Yeah, I'll, we'll get there. Um, start starting slow. I just think of me as the pirates on that play. Okay. Speaking of that play, you want to break it down? Oh yeah. So if you haven't seen it, um, I'll just try to describe it first, and then you should definitely go back and watch the video of it because it's probably the most unique play that we've seen in a very long time we are Um, all anthony rizzo in that play correct so cubs are playing the pirates um cubs are up to bat there's two outs in the inning and there's a runner on second base wilson Contreras. uh javier baez comes to bat he hits a routine ground ball to third base uh the third baseman fields the ball cleanly makes a throw in time but off the base to the first baseman for the Pirates, Will Craig. He catches it off the base, and he, he's kind of uh, a few steps away from uh, Baez coming down the line. Baez turns around and starts running back home. Um, Craig starts chasing him back. Um, and uh, meanwhile, Contreras is going as fast as he can, never giving up on this play, rounding third, heading to home. Meanwhile, Baez is kind of lingering, doing some like stutter step type moves uh, between home and and Craig. And then uh, Craig keeps trying to reach him rather than retreating back to first base because it's two outs in the inning. He just needs to touch the base and that'll be the end of that run won't score, but he gets completely caught up in the moment and throws the ball home as Contreras slides in safely Meanwhile, Baez realizes he needs to make it to first base because it's still a force play. But all the Pirates are completely dumbfounded. No one's uh, doing anything. They're just watching the play unfold. No one covers the base until it's too late. Baez reaches first. Uh, The throw is errant by the catcher. And Baez ends up at second base on this play. There There was another errant throw to second. Yeah, it so didn't actually, yeah, the amount to anything, center fielder but... Brian Reynolds came in to cover second base on that play, and he and he completely missed the ball. So, um, so Javi could a have, lot going on. Javi could have almost had a little league triple on that. Yeah, yeah. But, no, it was it was fantastic. Um, John Boy, I don't know if you've seen it, um, Gowie, but John Boy Media did their their breakdown that they do of just interesting plays. And that was a that was a fun breakdown. I uh, I highly suggest uh, you get on YouTube and watch uh, John Boy's breakdown of the Javi Baez play. Um, yeah, I I haven't checked that out yet. But the one thing that gets me is a lot of people don't want to give Baez any credit for it, and they're just saying Craig didn't um, like he he made the mistake, and Baez shouldn't really get any credit for it. But 
this is not like a new thing for bias he consistently um causes people to make mistakes and you got to give him some credit for for starting this play and and actually having the wherewithal to do something that very few players if any other players would even think to do so call me crazy but i think i think there's more more of that play was actually promoted by Baez than will craig because like will craig the obvious thing to do is to just tag javi right there just because he's right there and then when javi starts running away then all of a sudden like it's a split second reaction you don't sit there and think through okay it's a forced play even if he scores i could just walk back he's acting instinctually so he's getting javi in a rundown so that was just javi being smart enough to know that if he does something fast enough Will Craig is going to have to make a split second decision and it could go either way, but if it goes the wrong way, it's not so much on Will Craig, it's on Javi being smart, trying to induce him into an error versus Will Craig just being a dunce. He completely uh, like baited him into doing that. And obviously I I honestly feel pretty bad for Craig because he's the one that looks really bad, but I feel like it could have happened to (laughs) other players too. Yeah. Yeah, really, anyone who... Because Will Craig's not their starting first baseman, is he? He has been recently with Moran out, and he, he's only been in the big leagues for a week or so. So Yeah, so, like, if it was a guy like Paul Goldschmidt that you did that to, I'd be a little surprised, and I would entirely call that just a fluky thing for Goldschmidt just because he's had that... He has the repetitiveness of seeing weird plays... And so he knows how to make those split second decisions. Whereas a guy like Will Craig, who was never a everyday player, he's only been back up for like a week. Uh, like, yeah, he's probably going to make some mistakes and he did what he thought was right. So I just think it's weird that people are yelling so much at Will Craig and not giving Javi any credit when I think Javi deserves about 99% of the credit. Yeah, and then also good on the Pirates for kind of backing up their player. And, and basically, like, the starting pitcher, uh, Tyler Anderson, who was in the game at that time, he was basically saying, like, no one else on the field was saying, like, go to first, go to first, which is what they probably should have been doing because, you know, everyone else was kind of fooled there too. So Yeah, but it's almost like people get uh, caught up in the spectacle and then just completely forget about everything that's oh, actually yeah. happening. But... Definitely. Because the, the first time I watched the play, I didn't actually... Because I didn't watch it live. So I didn't have any of the background. So I didn't realize it was two outs until after yeah. the play had ended. And it's like, oh, that's awkward. <laughs> but yeah, so... I don't know. It, it was really interesting play all around. Um, so the other play that happened this week that uh, John Boy did a breakdown on that I think is worth watching as well, and uh, also the post-game interview of the Cardinals manager, Mike Schilt. Um, I'm sure everyone has probably heard about the um, new focus on the sticky stuff conundrum, which, if you recall, we actually talked about that back a couple weeks ago. Um, and just uh, how sticky stuff can basically uh, give you added spin rate, give you better grip on the ball. It can help you improve your pitches. Well, MLB earlier in the season came out and said, we're going to start trying to crack down on this. And um, 
keep people from cheating and doing all this stuff with uh, illegal substances and and I, I don't know why I air quoted they are illegal substances um, I guess they're just only illegal in name and not in practice uh, so there's been guys that you can see like doing a whole bunch of different stuff guys that have like a brown, like a really dark brown hat that looks like the pine tar that some guys have on their uh, batting helmets uh, you see uh, some guys who have something on their glove and they use it and whatever and MLB's done nothing but then um, uh, Giovanni Gallegos comes in um, to the game I don't remember which day it was last week at this point been a long week um, he comes in gets to the mound is throwing his warm-up pitches and Joe West comes up to him and tells him to change his hat and because he has just a little white circle right on the center of his hat and he hadn't thrown a pitch like in the game yet Mike Schilt comes out has his hat off I don't know if he was giving his hat to Gallegos or if he was using it I think as a... he said I think he said he was going to give it he was going to switch with Gio but then uh he kind of got sidetracked and got ejected first, so he didn't yeah, get that cause, far. Because he said something and got ejected immediately. Um, yeah. And then he went off on Joe West and the the other umpire. The I don't remember who it was, but the second base umpire is the guy who actually noticed it and told Joe to take it. Um, they took the hat, had uh, what looked to be like a 10 year old bat boy, take it into the umpire's room and lock it up. So no one could get to it so that it couldn't be tampered with genius idea. Give it to a 10 year old expect it to be protected. Um, and they're sending it off to the league to be tested for sticky stuff. Well, Mike Schilt then comes out later, uh, in his post, uh, post game press conference and just lays into the MLB for this for like 10 minutes saying, you're gonna you say you're gonna do something you don't do anything and then you pick a guy who um like he goes to his mouth anyone who's cheating doesn't typically lick their fingers because they've got stuff on it they don't want to eat um you've got guys that uh, use rosin you've got guys that have sunscreen on their hands their arms and stuff and so there's and they use the same hat every day for a year so it's gonna get dirty and this is the first time that you've done anything in game. You're calling out a guy before he's even thrown a pitch. And he basically called it MLB's dirty little secret that everyone cheats and they don't care. So it'll be interesting to see what happens here in the next uh, couple weeks. I'm, I'm curious if they uh, ever mention what was on the hat. Um, right. So, so from, from my uh, viewing of that, uh, press conference by Schilt. Um, I was kind of surprised that Gallegos didn't get suspended because he kind of admitted that Gallegos was using like, you know, the, the pine tar, like pine tar and sunscreen or whatever was on his hat. Um, but he was basically making the point that other people are using way worse stuff and, well, and they're not getting so caught for it at all. The difference is that rosin and sunscreen are both, legal substances they're not technically legal substances when they're but mixed they're used by they're used by every uh, well yeah they're they're legal like that yeah yeah when they're mixed they're not legal when they're separate they're legal and so it's really really hard to say well did he mix it and put it 
in a particular spot to use that to cheat or did he have sunscreen on because it was a day game and then pitchers used rosin by just basically bouncing the rosin bag all over their arm so it's it is mixing it but it's hard to judge intent at that point and so two legal substances that mixed that you can't tell what the intent of the mixing was if it was to get an illegal gain or something makes it difficult so if they're gonna make them legal they need to just make the combination of those two things legal anything else is out and it it's weird it's just i don't know yeah i'm still of the opinion that they need to just have an approved substance that that is available to the players and then no one will have a advantage over others so there will be people that are trying to get a better substance because, I mean, the, right. the stuff that the Angels guy was given out to supposedly everybody and their mom, um, yep. I think Garrett Cole and maybe JV and then Adam Wainwright was implicated in that. So all these guys that have been dominant and just uh, some guys that are, some people think are assholes and cheaters, other guys who are pretty run-of-the-mill, not very hyped-up guys, they're all supposedly using the substance. They'll still try and get that substance because it's better, supposedly. But I don't know. I think that's what Schilt was getting at, though, because he kind of alluded to exactly that situation. It's like there's nothing that came out of that, but then now you're making Geo change his hat because he's got sunscreen and rosin. So Yeah. I don't think that MLB is going to really come down with any big uh you know punishments for any of the players because it's gonna be really difficult to do but hopefully they come up with a better way to um i don't know crack down on it maybe next season so supposedly the uh the balls that they're taking um they're they've uh, told the players like no one's gonna get suspended if there's anything on them at all this season period no one will be suspended we're just trying to figure out what people are using so that we could then make new rules so it's a case study is all that it is but i think that's a good way to go about it 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 does or it it is but they made it seem like really early on there it was a absolute crackdown if we're gonna start suspending people and then if it's all a case study then what does it matter if Gio has something on his hat? Because no one's getting suspended for having anything on the ball. So it's just, I don't They're contradicting themselves. Right. Yeah. So, oh, well, Manfred's dumb. I think, <laughs> I think that's the nice way to say it. Yeah. All right. What else happened this week? That... Uh, there was a big prospect debut. Uh, Alec Manoa made his first start um, in the first game of a doubleheader, Blue Jays and Yankees at Yankee Stadium, and he goes out and he pitches six innings, scoreless ball, strikes out seven batters. Um, and for me, he just like he just had the the it factor. He he was confident out there. He didn't look nervous at all. That's like something I'm looking for in a player's first start. Like, how are they acting? when they're not even on the mound. So his teammates hit him a couple home runs and he was like enjoying himself while that was happening. He wasn't like so laser focused on, on worrying about his own start that he was able to like 
just have fun with the baseball game and, and then he just did his thing he's got a really good fastball and slider and he really had it working he made Aaron Judge look super foolish on on one of his strikeouts um he threw a fastball and Judge was looking for something slower and he just made this very half-hearted weak late swing and and you never see Did, Judge like swing make, like that really didn't he make Judge fall down on another pitch that was a pitch right before the that strikeout so yeah he, he had a swing that put him down to a knee so yeah. Two two terrible swings in a row from Judge. I'm not sure I've seen one outside of that ever. So two in a row, it's pretty good. Yeah, exactly. So, but He's, no, uh, I'm yeah, excited to watch Alec Manoa. And if Pearson kind of gets it figured out, he's been kind of hit or miss. I think, right, Pearson? Yeah, he's had a lot of trouble with just throwing strikes, and and the thing with Manoa is that he has a pretty good track record of not walking a whole bunch of people. And, and the crazy thing about Manoa is that before this start, he'd had about 35 professional innings ever because he was drafted in 2019. He pitched a little bit then, obviously no minor leagues in 2020, and then three starts at AAA this year. And now he's already in the big leagues. Yeah, that's insane. And then um, something I was going to mention, and I just completely forgot um, – so when you were saying just how calm he looked, that's huge because any time that I've seen a guy just try try and be laser focused, they're trying to throw the perfect pitch. And yeah. that's what um, – oh, shoot. Who was it? Logan Gilbert, right? Yeah. Yeah, Logan Gilbert. And then there's uh, like relievers get into this where for like a starter or not a start for an appearance or two, they're trying to throw the perfect pitch every time. And when you're going for perfection, you end up screwing up more just because you're too focused on it. You're thinking, okay, I need to rotate my hand this much more. And then just you're overthinking it. So him being that calm in his debut probably is the reason why he dominated that much. Because he's just throwing the ball. That's all he's doing yeah, he's, at that point. He just seems super confident in, in what he has, and he's not worried about anything, which is really cool to see. Yeah. The last thing I'll say about that is his mom was just going absolutely crazy in the stands. I saw that. Didn't they have a mom cam on the <laughs> – Yeah, they kept showing his mom because she was, like, so, uh, you know, into it. <laughs> yeah, I love when they show, uh, like, family members and stuff that are into it. That's always fun. Yeah. All right. The the last one uh, for uh, this week in baseball, which kind of we could have thrown it into the whole myth busting type thing. Uh, Tyler O'Neill is having himself a week. Uh, The Canadian Mountain, uh, the big baby, uh, whatever you want to call him. um, Absolutely jacked, dude. but he uh, he hit home runs in three straight days immediately after coming off the uh, the IL, and he is he's playing really really well this year. I think he's finally uh, popping off to be that outfielder that the Cardinals and and the Mariners when they drafted him thought that he could be. Um, he's currently ninety fourth percentile in exit velocity, ninety um, sixth in xwoba. 
uh, 90th and expected batting average, uh, 100th percentile and expected slugging, 100th and uh, barrel percentage, his hard hit percentage, 86th percentile. Um, yeah, he's got a 50% hard hit rate in 2021. Yeah, one thing that stood out to me is that he has 11 home runs and 125 plate appearances. That's just absurd. Yeah. And then the the other thing that I thought was just completely bonkers, and so I don't know how he's doing as well as he is with this next stat I'm about to tell you. His walk rate is down to a measly 2.4% walk rate, and his uh, his K percentage is uh, kind of on his career average at 34. So he's not walking, he's striking out a lot, and he's just still going off. An absolute monster of a human. But, yeah, he just basically said, like, I don't need to walk. I can just hit everything for a home run. Well, and, and the other thing is, like, when he hits, the reason that he's hitting so well is because he's not a pure pull hitter. Like, he's a big lefty, but he's not a pull hitter. He basically uh, hits. He's not a lefty. I'm thinking Harrison. No, Harrison's a righty, too. I I don't know what I'm saying, uh, but either way, he's not a pull hitter. He hits at about 35% to uh, pull, about 35% to center, and then 30% oppo. So he spreads it uh, a lot, and he's not always hitting fly balls. He's got a pretty even mix of line drive, fly ball, some uh, ground balls. So he just puts wood on the ball and gets results out of it he's not trying to do anything specific he just has a bunch of natural power and is just making the most out of it so there was one other thing that i saw on uh, o'neill is that when he came back from the injured list he started uh, using a interlocking finger grip um which is new for him and yeah like that <laughs> and um obviously it's working so far and so that, I always find it fascinating when that probably when guys, just gives uh, you more barrel control, doesn't it? So the reason why he did that actually is to protect his injured finger. Okay. Interesting. All right. But yeah, it's just fascinating when uh, players make the, those kind of mechanical changes to their swing and <laughs> he, he's got the early results so far. Yeah, see if he keeps it up. And with him and um, Carlson, and then when he's been healthy, granted he's still small sample size. Bader has been looking really good this year too, um, better than he ever has. So this this Cardinals outfield is finally starting to look like what it was always built to be. And so that's that's a good sign. Um, so. This is probably a great time to transition into uh, some midseason Mythbusters, where we uh, basically uh, are looking at a couple of specific topics and just trying to break it, break it down and figure out if it's true or not. And I think the first one is the Twins have been pretty underwhelming looking at the standings. It, it, downright bad i think looking at the standings aren't they what's what's their record yeah, they just won today to get them tied for last place with the tigers in the al central so their record right now is 
22 and 31. 22 and, and 11 games and they're 11 games behind the White Sox and, for the division lead. And this is the team that was supposed to be one of the top 2 in the division before the season. Correct. Um so is it time for them to panic? Should they just start selling? What what's what's the deal here? Why are they so bad? Yeah, it's a it's a really baffling question, um especially when you look at their offense. Um They've been pretty solid, uh, above average, 106 WRC+, plus, which is 7th in the league. Um, they are missing Byron Buxton, of course, but he should be starting a rehab assignment pretty soon. And I think Buxton might be one of the biggest, like, obviously he's their best player, most talented player that they have, and he provides both on the offense and defensive side. So I think getting him back could, could help them get back into it, but... The pitching, on the other hand, has been downright, like, awful. Outside of uh, Jose Barrios, who's been kind of his steady self that he usually is year after year, and then Michael Pineda has been pretty good. But beyond that, in their starting rotation, um, Kenta Maeda is hurt. He's apparently been pitching with a with a sore arm all year, which kind of explains why he's been pretty bad. Jay Happ is has a 5.24 ERA, um, which looks terrible because he was the direct replacement for Rich Hill. And Rich Hill just finished a month where he had a 0.73 ERA with the Rays. So Rich Hill is alive and well. I'm sorry, who's uh, who's this Rich Hill character you keep speaking about? He's uh, he's a legend. But are you talking about Dick Mountain? That's right. Oh, my bad. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and one other uh, kind of downgrade you could call it that they have had is losing Trevor May to, to free agency in the Mets and then replacing him with Alex Colomay, and he's been way, way worse than he's ever been in his career. And they just keep, you know, giving games away based on their pitching. Yeah, it's – I was I was looking here at the, the leaderboards, and I – like their offense is really pretty good. Um, they've got let's see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, uh, nine above average hitters. Um, one guy who's the exactly average, and one guy who's ever so slightly less than average as far as hitting, uh, based on WRC plus. Buxton obviously tops it out at a two two four. So. They and then they are, I think, fifth in the league in home runs at 71 is a team. So they put up a lot of runs. They should have no problem winning games until you start looking at anyone not named Jose Barrios. Um, and they're the back end of their rotation just looks awful. And then yeah. they're, but I think their biggest thing is their bullpen. Like right. their bullpen, I would is, agree with that, their bullpen yeah. is worse than their bad rotation. But I mean, yeah. hell, when Williams Astadio is your ninth best reliever, that's a problem. <laughs> that is a serious problem. But I, I just know. had like, one note about the uh, the. So we always talk about the extra innings rule, and the Twins have been awful in extra innings. They're one and seven. Well. Um, Obviously, so, some of that, 
I think that means they're on a one-win streak in those situations. Cause... Yeah, so they recently won that, that game, which was their first win in extra innings. Before that, um, obviously they lost. But my point here is that while the extra innings rule is kind of fluky, one team or the other can, can win on some sort of weird thing and you know with a bunt and then sack fly or whatever, but some of that comes down to not having the the lockdown relievers that can go out there and get strikeouts when you need them with the runner on base. And it doesn't seem like the, the Twins really have that. Taylor Rogers is decent. He's probably the best guy they have. But then, like I mentioned about Colome, he hasn't been very good. Jorge Alcala was really good last year, and he hasn't done anything this year. Um, they just keep uh, giving up late leads, even before extra inning, too, and, and that's part of the reason their record's so bad. Yeah. The The other thing that I thought was odd, and I, I haven't seen this up, uh, stat updated in probably two weeks, but um, they were like, uh, in the month of April, I think they were something like four and 10 and games that were not nine innings exactly. So any shortened games from double headers, uh, any extra innings games, they're just awful. So it, it's not even just going into extras. For some reason, it seems like if they only go seven, they don't have enough time to put up the runs they need to outscore the other team. So granted, that's a really out of date stat. I haven't seen the if they've had any seven inning games since then, but yeah. So, uh, do we think there's any good news on the on the Twins front here? Is there any reason that we should be optimistic? Buxton's coming back from injury. If... I think that's for me. That's the biggest thing. If Buxton can come back, they usually play a lot better, and so they were winning way more games when he was there than they have been recently. So Buxton. I kind of feel like he's like the second most important player that's currently on the IL for any team. Because I think what he brings to that Twins team and what Mike Trout brings to that Angels team are it's probably the two like biggest losses out of any team. Like you could have a team that has like six or seven players missing and I feel like Buxton alone still is outmatching that. Like right, cuz he's just at the top of the the scale in terms of the total value that he brings to the team and he's obviously yeah. playing at an elite level this year right in the Mike Trout realm so yeah. getting mean, him back he's is only be huge. he's only played 24 games he has less than 100 plate appearances and he's got 2.64 yeah it's that's nuts so the other thing that is good for them is that they have tons of games against the White Sox and at the end of the month they have seven games in 10 days against the White Sox so they can make up quite a bit of ground and then before that they're playing some if they can win those games because the white Sox can win those the white Sox can hit true very true but before they get to that they've got games against the orioles the royals the mariners the rangers and the reds so those are prime opportunities to make up ground because those are some of the worst teams around yeah and i'm I'm curious well, I, I'm curious. Uh, so you said Maeda's on the IL now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when is he expected to come back? Have they given any indication? I'm not aware because he actually went on the IL with a groin strain. Supposedly that's healed up, but he's 
remaining on it because of the, because of the, the arm? recent development of, of yeah with the arm so yeah because what i was thinking though is um getting him back if he can get working or if he can work through the arm issue um get that healed up that'd be huge for them if he even gets back to about half of what he was last year yeah they need that so just because i i think those are probably the two things that could turn that team around is uh, one more starter just to get you some more uh, eat up some innings um productively and then and then just shorten the the amount of time you have to use that bullpen yeah save taylor rogers as much as you can because he seems to be your go-to guy yeah and he's doing all right but yeah yeah he's okay but you don't want to roll this chapman him or use him so much because he's so good and then he's just toast for like the next couple months and then at the end so at the end of that run um kind of in early july that's when we can say probably if the twins are going to be selling or not and if they end up not doing so well up to that point maybe they go ahead and trade some of their their one-year guys which they have quite a few like uh, nelson cruz could be a really nice addition for for another team and maybe they even trade um barrios or or get really crazy and trade buxton for a massive haul yeah I don't know. I I feel like that's almost a team that I would be afraid to trade anything away from it just because of next year. Like I almost yeah. I almost wouldn't want to break up the band. I'd get rid or I'd trade away any pitcher you've got that's worth anything, but I would try and keep as much of that that lineup together as possible. Personally. But it'll be interesting. Huh. Um so I guess the Moving on just a little bit from the Twins here. Um, Jose Adolis Garcia, a 28-year-old Cuban uh, kid, defected to Japan, signed with the Cardinals back in 2017. 2017. Uh, Debuted on the big league roster in 2018. Did not do well. Um, went back to AAA, did okay there, got DFA'd in 2019. Um, the Rangers sign him. He plays for AAA for them in 2020. Or No, he didn't. It didn't exist. Uh, he was in the alternate site for them in 2020. Played, I think, one game, maybe two. He played a handful of games, yeah, in 2020 with a big club. And then DFA'd again. Now he's back. And he is mashing. It, yeah. What is happening here? Is this real? Is it fake? Cardinals Twitter will have you believe that he's going to like crash back into Earth tomorrow. Um, what, what's what's happening there? Yeah, so far it's just been uh, like amazing what this guy is doing. And it's kind of backed up by, um, like, uh, we were talking ex-Woba last week. It's kind of backed up so Woba has been 386. Ex Woba has been 377. So he's he's really earned uh, what he's done so far. He's been worth two WAR, um, hitting 286, 323 OBP, and he leads the league in home runs with 16, tied with uh, Fernando Tatis and Vladimir Guerrero. So it's in pretty uh, 
lofty company there. And the thing that stands out to me about how he's doing it is um, he's still pretty much the exact same guy that he was in the minor leagues with the Cardinals, which is a guy that, um, you know, hits home runs, not, not to this level, of course, but has really bad plate discipline, pretty much strikes out a ton, rarely walks, and chases a ton. I think the stat cast shows that he's in the fourth percentile um, chase rate. He's only eighth percentile in walk rate, 16th percentile in K percentage. So he's still striking out, like, what, around 30% of the time? Yet no. when he's making contact, he's doing massive damage and is barreling 98%, 98th percentile and hitting the ball very hard everywhere. Well, and so that's kind of where the difference comes in versus his two short stints in the MLB before. So in 2018 with the Cardinals, he was um, he had a 31% outside uh, zone swing percent and about a 60, like a 68 zone swing percent. And he's upped that to 72 for zone swing, and then his outside zone swing is pretty much the same. But on the contact side, um, his zone contact has uh, gone way up from 2018. So he's making more contact in the zone, swinging more in the zone, um, and so it's allowing him to do more damage. So, Yeah, definitely that extra contact ability in the zone has been a big key for him and if he can keep that up he can be a really productive player um the one thing that is a bit of a concern is he's been really bad on off-speed pitches um batting 111 versus uh 352 on fastballs so you could see teams starting to attack him a little bit differently but based on, you know, seeing him, how he crushes fastball. So um, I wouldn't expect him to keep it up to this level, but I think he can still be a guy that hits a bunch of home runs, probably hits up for a quite a bit lower average going forward, though. So how did he, he how did he do against uh, breaking pitches in the minors? Do you have that up by chance? Uh, I don't have that available, but so breaking balls. So I was actually talking like, Strictly off-speed pitches, so like change-ups. Breaking okay. balls, he's hitting 267, so lower than fastballs, but that's typical for pretty okay. much any so, so he can handle a breaking ball, though. It's yeah. it's just change-ups, basically, that get him. So far, yeah. Okay, because I was going to say, if um, there's a lot of guys, especially that were coming out of the Cardinals system there in the last couple years that um, not named Dylan Carlson, that can basically only hit fastballs and so like justin williams is one of those guys that the cardinals ended up keeping when they dfa'd um adelise garcia and traded randy and and all those guys were seeing him come up and they they start out hot because they're just getting fastballs and then all of a sudden they throw a curveball and then they look foolish and they can't do it so uh, that's basically why i was asking with garcia but it sounds like that's not quite the same thing with him so so I'll ask you a question about him. So he has 16 home runs right now, mm -hmm. eight home runs per month. So that would be, if we extrapolate that, that's 48 home runs in the season. So let's just say I set the over-under at 40 home runs. Would you take the over or the under? 
I think I would take the under. Um, I. It's just kind of a gut feel thing. Like the numbers are there to say that he could probably pretty easily do it, but I I feel like he's probably going to slump at some point. And Texas is not a team that's uh, competitive enough to help pull you out of a slump. I don't think. <laughs> So I feel like if he slumps, he's going to slump hard. So Do you think he would be at risk of losing his job if he slumps seriously? Because I, I still think he, he's pretty much got himself to a point where he can guarantee him that he's going to get this entire year to, to go and do play every day. I think he gets this year and he gets a l- – well, I mean, he's uh, – Well, it depends on how he plays, of course. Well, yeah, but I, I think he's he's – bought himself enough leash to make it through this season. He still has an option, I think. So he could put, yeah, he has one option left. Um, Wait, how does he have an option if he's already been DFA'd? I don't know. It just says MILB options one. Oh, okay. I don't know how that works then. Um, so he has an option left. So they could send him down and pull him back up. So he might not get like 162 games on the big club, but they'll give him one chance to go down, earn his way back, and he'll he won't be DFA'd. I don't think this year. Next year is questionable cuz he is just kind of breaking out as a 28-year-old. So Tommy Pham ask, uh Jose Martinez ask. Um it's actually exactly the same thing coming out of the Cardinals and then just popping off at like 28, 29. Why do, why do we do that? I don't get yeah, it. Yeah, so that's obviously a late start, but I think he could he could be a solid uh, like power first type guy for a few years, and maybe he's even on the, I mean, the next good Texas team. You know who he reminds me of? Who? Joey Gallo. Uh, I mean, his contact's not quite that bad, so I, hopefully I, he's, he's yeah. not that bad. I don't know. He just, that's kind of just who I think of first. Maybe it's just the Texas connection, but. Could be, yeah. And the other thing is that I didn't know about him is how well he's been doing um, playing center field. So they've got him at 95th percentile and outs above average and 89th percentile in uh, outfielder jump. So he's really athletic. He's, he's like a really big, strong dude, and he steals some bases too, so pretty exciting player to watch so far this season yeah i'm i'm really curious to see uh how he goes the rest of the year i he's kind of the one guy that makes me want to occasionally watch a rangers game so yeah exactly. they've got that going for him um so him and arosa rena I'm, I'm really curious to just watch those two and just see how the rest of the season pans out for them because the hype right now is really hot randy's hype kind of came down obviously at the beginning of the season compared to last postseason but I think they're He's kind of a lot better himself too. Yeah. Yeah. So I think those two guys are kind of guys to watch right now. Cause they could, this is basically make or break time for the next year for them. It'll, it'll determine their role. So we'll see. Um, so now, unfortunately I'm going to take you to a not so positive. Adelis Garcia is on fire and Luis Castillo is very much not. It, 
is there any hope left for Castillo? Yeah, it's been absolutely brutal so far. So he, just to give you his stats for this year, 722 ERA. That's worse in the league. 178 whip is worse in the league. I think the second place guy in uh, ERA is like in the six range. There's no one in the seven range among qualified starters. I think Patrick Corbin's number two, but uh, he's been like terrible, and and most of it has been uh, kind of earned. I mean, FIP. There's a huge difference between his FIP and his uh, ERA. I think his FIP is four uh, four seventy six, but that's not that's not good in itself. Um, so I was trying to figure out what is exactly going wrong here because the first thing I look for is a, a pitcher's fastball velocity to see maybe are they hiding an injury or trying to work through an injury or something. But his ve- velocity on the fastball is pretty well in line with what he's done the rest of his career. And it hasn't even warmed up really in, in Cincinnati. I mean, it's only just starting now to warm up. He's pitching a bunch of cold weather games and he's still averaging um, you know, over 96 on the fastball. So I don't think he has an injury. Um, the next thing was just looking at his pitch mix and he's throwing his fastball pretty much the same amount that he used to. He's throwing the, uh, his famous changeup, just about the same percentage that he used to. He's just not really getting swings and misses on any of his pitches. And that's just shocking. So, something that just stuck out to or that just popped in my head how's his uh his movement of his pitches compared to last year um because that could be playing into it uh let's see so his four seamer 1.5 down vertical in 2020 1.7 down Ver, uh, in 2021, 1.1 horizontal in 2020, 1.2 horizontal in 2021. So his fastball seems fine. This one looks, this could be actually something here. Uh, his slider in 2020 had two inches of vertical movement and 3.2 inches of horizontal movement. His uh, slider in 2021 is actually up to 2.9 inches in uh, vertical movement and 5.2 in horizontal movement. Hmm. So usually you would think that it would flatten out and maybe cause issues. Uh, Let's see. His his changeup is not moving as much vertically. It's, I mean, it doesn't move much side to side in general. Uh, and then his sinker is right on, right on par. So really, his changeup's not dropping, and his slider is moving too much to the side. So is he just having command issues? And then people are just basically able to just pick the changeup because it doesn't move. Yeah, it it might be that because, like there's no reason someone as talented as him is, is, you know, getting beat this bad. There's no way Luis Castillo should have the worst ERA in the league with the way he throws the ball. So, uh, 
Well, and his hard hit percentage on his four-seamer is down this year. On his slider, it's up just a tad. On his sinker, it's up about 5%. On his changeup, it's... Yeah, his hard hit percentage on his changeup is up 10% over last year. And he's not getting as much vertical movement on his changeup. And that's his that's his go-to pitch. If yeah, I remember right... Pitch. Yeah. That's like his most common pitch, right? Um, let me see about that. So, yeah, he, he still throws the change up the most, 32% of the time, fastball at around 31% of the time. So Yeah, so I, I kind of think that might be his biggest thing is because when your best pitch isn't on, then you've just eliminated one pitch and you're a three pitch guy, a sinker, a four seamer and a slider. So really you're a two pitch guy at that point. So I, I think he's just, he doesn't have the feel in his change up and then he just gets lost. Yeah. And one other thing, not directly related to his pitching, but I guess it, it affects his results. We talk about it all the time. The Reds defense. I think they just made another error as we speak. Did they really? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> are they playing right now? I think they are. So, no, I think they played uh, earlier today. Oh, but uh, okay. but yeah, so that can't be helping him. <laughs> and yeah. also, the ballpark he plays in is is a tough one. So, yeah, I think it's gonna get a little bit better for him. Um, but there's something missing. I'm not sure if we've exactly put the the finger on it yet but i'm sure he's scratching his head the same way like what am i doing wrong here well he should go talk to vado because vado is a baseball savant savant um and just from the little bit that i've looked at uh baseball savant here there's there's something wrong and i think it's a good place to start I I am ooh the other thing I'm curious about has his spin rate changed this year? Uh, I think it's pretty well in line with what he did last year as well. Okay. It might be, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty similar. Okay, so then it's I actually won't. up on his fastball spin rate's actually up. How's his changeup spin rate? Um. Hmm. all right then yeah i i won't go down that line of thought then that's that's just me <laughs> pulling it straws Luis Castillo is confusing me and you clearly now yeah i don't know like i'll just i'll drive over to cincy are they in cincy this week i'll drive over there uh, tomorrow i think so yeah and just sit down with them and just talk talk him through this yeah, It'll be that would fine. be good. I don't like to see him struggling this badly as much I as I either. don't like the Reds. Isn't he on, like, half your fantasy teams? No, actually, only one, so that's okay. good, I guess. Only one, but not half. How many are you on? <laughs> you have a problem. I, I'd rather not disclose that publicly. <laughs> Text that to me. I'm, I'm <laughs> curious. Um, all right, last question, and then – or last – topic here and then we'll move on to the top five 
we were talking earlier how the Twins were one of those teams that were supposed to be the top of the division. And then just now, all of a sudden, they're tied for last place with the Tigers because they won. Meaning they were sole possession yesterday. The opposite has happened with the Giants. The Giants were supposed to be the worst or second worst in the division, maybe. Um, I guess maybe third. But, like, those bottom three are all pretty bad. I think if you look at the standings, Arizona has not reached 20 wins yet. I think Colorado just got to 20 wins yesterday. And everyone else is sitting up about 30 or higher um, in the in the good teams. Uh, I think San Francisco is currently in... I believe they're in first. Are they in first with 35 wins? They are 34 and 20 first place. Half a game up on the Padres and two and a half up on the Dodgers. How about that? Yeah, so... Uh, are the Giants legit? We're a third of the way through the season. They're in first place. Buster Posey is hitting as good as he's hit in like six years. He's got yeah, a one eighty. Maybe, maybe it's got, all that uh, that time sitting at home last year. Like his well, body's probably just feeling better than it has in a decade now. Well, that's the exact same thing that I was saying. I think I mentioned this about Yachty. It might not have been on on the podcast, but um, I think I was mentioning it to you week or two ago about Yachty and just how he's been hitting better than he's hit in years and I thought it was because of that but Buster Posey is back he's hitting a 181 WRC plus 10 home runs um his walk rate is up to 12 percent his K rate's up to the highest it's been since 2011 but any guesses what his K rate is uh I assume it's way better than the league average of about 24 like you, it always is. You would be right. Yeah. It's I would guess like 15%. 16. Okay. And it's as highest it's been since 2011, which was his second year in the league. Okay. Uh, his rookie season, it was 21. So, but he's got a 341 Babbitt. So I feel like that is a little higher than average, right? Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, but it's not insane. Um, And he's got a 2.1 F4 so far this year. So... With and then he's not even the only like really good hitter on the team because um, Brandon Crawford, Evan Longoria, Mike Yastrzemski all have WRC pluses over 120. Um, they're and they're combined for 25 home runs. Their averages and stuff are a little all over the place, but I think they've all played different amounts of games. Like Yaz is hitting like 220, and Longo's hitting 260, and Crawford's hitting somewhere around 300. But and then. Kevin Gausman with a 1-4 ERA, a 2.18 FIP in 70 innings, uh, or 70 and two-thirds innings, 31% K rate, and a 6% walk rate. And then you've got the rest of the uh, rotation um, bringing the starter ZRA uh, to 291. Yeah, it's super impressive, and I think we, we have figured out the uh, winning strategy to build a starting rotation. All you do is you take Kevin Gosman, Johnny Cueto, Alex Wood, and Anthony Descafani. So you take a bunch of former Reds, and you make a, a new pitching rotation, and you you become amazing. Exactly. Well, so 
I was going to say we could potentially do the same thing with former Dodgers because Alex Wood, Rich Hill, uh, Hinjin Ryu. Um, uh, yeah, Ross Stripling's been pitching a lot better too. Take Trevor Bauer and put him on another team now that he's been a Dodger. But no, and then uh, so the Giants are looking good on the offensive side of the ball. They're looking good in the rotation. And then their bullpen is their weak point, but Tyler Rogers and Caleb uh, Baragar are doing mighty fine at holding that thing down. Um, I think some of their guys that don't get a whole lot of work tend to blow up an inning or two, um, but they just give the ball to uh, Baragar and Rogers, and they rock and roll to 35 wins or 34 wins or whatever you said it was. But. Yeah, and um, I don't know this for sure, but I would probably bet that the Giants have the oldest starting lineup in the entire league. I'm just looking oh, here, and they have you got to. Yaz. Yaz is 30, Buster's 34, Alex Dickerson's 31, Longo 35, Crawford's 34, Donovan Solano's 33. So yeah, I was gonna say when your top three hitters are 34, and then your uh, fourth best hitter is 30. It's not really looking good for uh, a long-term outlook. Um, no, but the the thing is, um, they've got so many veterans that are solid players. Um, they're just kind of holding it together and uh, and winning games. Yeah, I mean, this is. Uh, I mean, it's probably not the best uh, analogy here, but the Giants right now are looking to me kind of what the Tampa Bay Bucks were last year. Tom Brady comes in, brings in a whole bunch of other vets that are ring chasing, trying to build a team of just these really good veterans to dominate. And I mean, the giants didn't intentionally do that. I mean, they kind of did, but they're just left over from when they were from when they were bad. And then they just managed to find themselves again. And now they've got all these old veterans who have been on winning teams. Um, I think Longo, I don't, when, when Longo was with Tampa, did, how many, did they ever make the playoffs? Yeah, they, I think, uh, they did when Price Longo's was there. Rook, I think that was, uh, Longo's rookie year, I believe when they went to the world series in 2008. I okay. think I'm getting that right. Yeah. And then they've got guys who are left over from the world series teams in Buster, Brandon Crawford and Brandon belt. Right. Yeah. Don't forget Brandon belts and playing really well before he went on the injured list. So that's another guy. Yeah. That fits in right with Buster and uh, Crawford. So they've got these guys who have been on winning teams. They were the good guys on the winning teams at those points in time. They kind of faded away. Now they're back and the giants are here. And I kind of think they'll make it through 162. Next year, I'm not so certain, but uh, I I think I could legitimately see the Giants being a good team, assuming that the back end of their rotation holds together. That would kind yep. of be my biggest question mark. I don't. I think the hitting will still be there. I think yeah, they'll have some. One of these other young thing guys. about their 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 hitting is that they actually have a really nice bench. So we always keep talking about. Um, you know, short benches and things like that and not having a bunch of depth. Their bench is right now, they've got uh, Casale, backup catcher, and they've got Wilmer Flores, Mauricio Dubon, Austin Slater, Mike Talkman. So these are all guys that could probably start on 
um, you know, worse teams, but they're they're really nice bench pieces, and they can they can plug in if someone else gets hurt in the yeah, regular lineup. Dubon is the the one that kind of is least represented by how you just described it. I think Dubon is one of those guys who's still pretty young, is unproven, but with a lot of potential. So I don't know if he could necessarily start on other teams right now. He'd still be a bench bat at pretty much any team, except for maybe the Pirates or the Rangers. But I I am a big believer in Dubon, by the way. So he'll pop off. It's he's, just a matter uh, of time. He's turning it around. He's Is showing he? signs of life. Yeah. Oh, thank goodness. I was going to say, I've got <laughs> enough. The, the, I've got the beginning enough. of the start the season was very rough for him, but I think it's turning around. Good. I'll have to bring my uh, autos out from the bottom of the pile. So <laughs> yeah, but yeah. So oh, we believe in the Giants. Are they gonna? They're gonna stay in the race with the Padres and the Dodgers all season long. I think they'll stay in a wild card race. <laughs> they'll stay well, alive. They can make the playoffs. I'm I'm interested to see how that. Uh, that's going to be basically what the NL Central has been for years, where there's always three teams that are fighting it out, trying to get both of the wild cards and everything. Except this time, it's going to be three legitimately really good teams doing it. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Um, any other last-minute thoughts on uh, myths that we need to bust tonight or questions that we need to answer? Uh, there's probably plenty more questions to answer, but I, I figured this was a good time to do it because typically Memorial Day is like that day that you kind of look back and you say, "Hey, we're we're it's not exactly early anymore. We're we're one third of the way through, and you can kind of start looking at things and just see what where you are and hope." things get better or hope things get worse or maybe you're just stuck where you are i mean you never hope things get worse well that's no i i get what you're saying though yeah 100 percent um so the giants are real myth plausible uh hope for luis castillo no unsure unclear yeah (laughs) we're uh adelis garcia for real uh I think we can somewhat bust that one, I guess. All right. Myth, mostly real, though. Myth cracked. cracked. Uh, time to panic for the Twins. I kind I'm of... I'm panicking. I'm very much panicking. I, I think yeah. I think that myth is plausible. Yes. Um. Join us next week when we blow up a something. I don't yeah, know we should it... come back to these maybe in September and see how we did. All right, I'm in. Um, put that in the notes so that we don't forget. Cause okay. I most definitely will forget. Um, all right, so finish it up today with a top five. I decided that I wanted to do best walk-up songs. I was originally thinking about it from what are the best walk-up songs in history? Because... Um, Mariano Rivera would always come out to Inner Sandman. And when Inner Sandman came on, if you were the hitting team, you were scared because there was a very small chance that you were going to be able to mount a comeback and win that game. Um, uh, Trevor Hoffman had, uh, uh, was it Hell's Bells by ACDC? I think so, yeah. Yeah, and kind of the same thing there. And, and 
so you've got these guys that just have songs that are so iconic with them but there's so many good ones and so many songs that could be kind of um with multiple people that um it it made it hard for me to create a list so i decided that mlb has started publishing the walk-up songs for 2021 so i walked or looked through all of them today and i picked my top five favorites um what i think are the best i will preface this with i am not a big fan of rap so i don't know what most of the rap songs were they're not on the list i apologize please uh Go ahead and start looking up on MLB's website, uh, the walk-up songs, and pick your top five and let me know, and uh, I'll I'll listen to them. Um, I just haven't yet. So, uh, but some notable ones when I was looking through, um, one of them's a couple years old, uh, but my personal favorite walk-up song of all time is uh, "Benny and the Jets," sung by uh, was it Ariana Zobrist? Juliana. Juliana Zobrist uh for Ben Zobrist when he was on the Cubs um so that was my favorite of all time but uh ones from this year that I think are just awesome Wilmer Flores uses I'll Be There For You by the Rembrandts the theme song from Friends and it just seems so perfect because he's such a nice guy that just knowing it's the theme song from Friends I'm like yes I love that it wouldn't be intimidating but it would make me laugh if I were the opposing team um, Mark Canna uses Madonna's Like a Virgin. Uh, Yoannis Cespedes has The Circle of Life from The Lion King. Um, that so, seems fitting. <laughs> a little bit. But, uh, so, I thought those were some interesting notables. So, the, the top five, though. At number five, we have Andrew Heaney using Tiny Dancer by Elton John. It would be so off-putting to the batter coming up to face Andrew Heaney that it's, I, I don't know. I just imagine someone coming into the box just, hold me closer. To, damn it. And then they have to try and get back into their groove and hit. So it just, I, I love it. It's a great choice. At number four, we have Good Grief by Bastille. And it's used by Peter Fairbanks of the Tampa Bay Rays. Um Fairbanks is a pitcher, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's not really an intimidating song by any means. I just love Bastille. Um, and he's also trying to give him grief. So, you know, it works. Uh, number three, we've got Cult of Personality for Kyle Schwarber. So uh, Cult of Personality is by Living Color. Uh, it's a song from the 80s. Uh, they use a bunch of samples from uh, speeches of uh, Kennedy and Stalin and um, guys who were essentially the face of a cult of personality and Schwarber has a big personality. So it kind of just, it felt very fitting for it to me, for him. Schwarber definitely changed his, uh, music since he was on the Cubs. It used to be thuggish, ruggish bone. Uh, I, th- he has a couple, I think he still uses okay. that. Um, but uh, there's a lot of guys that change their walk-up songs every year. If it's not someone that's like Mariano Rivera, that's like, that's your song. Um, so at number two, Clayton Kershaw, when he comes up to bat, uses No Scrubs by TLC. Clayton Kershaw is not a scrub of a hitter. Pitchers who rake, Clayton Kershaw. So 
I that would just be absolutely hysterical to listen to. And then number one is Wild Thing for James Karinchak. Uh Wild Thing is indeed the song used uh in Major League for I forget the guy's name. Wild Thing Thomas. Wild what what's Not his name? Vaughn. Ricky Vaughn. Ricky Vaughn. There we go. Ricky Wild Thing Vaughn. And Karinchak is essentially Wild Thing Vaughn in real life. Dude throws yeah, a hundred and same number. Yeah. Same team, same number, same song. And he's been pitching really, really well. I feel like uh, any hitter should be afraid to face Karinchak in the box. He's got two different curveballs, a 102-mile-an-hour fastball, and then I think he throws a two-seam. So I think he's got two fastballs and two curveballs. I'm uh, not sure. It sounds right. He's got a 12-6. He's got a standard 9-3. Or not 9-3, 3, three curveball that goes like that that'd be fun <laughs> um this one comes like that uh oh no that would be three nine all right yeah i'm dumb i remember um but yeah so those are my top five walk-up songs for this year um based on what are currently being used the miami marlins are dumb and did not populate their website so i have no idea what anything that the marlins use is uh, but you should be able to just Google MLB walk-up songs, 2021, uh, go to major league baseball's website and they link you to the pages on each one of the teams. So you could always go find your favorite, uh, uh, player and find his walk-up song. I did notice a lot of people are still using, um, oh shoot, Cody Jinx loud and heavy. Um, so that is still an incredibly popular song. Uh, to use for major league players so it didn't get on here because i think three players from each team use that same song so kind of seemed a little bit um so that is all that we have got for you today uh thank you for joining us gowie you got any closing thoughts uh, um hopefully cubs will be in first place by the end of the night nope cardinals are going to beat the dodgers i don't know who started for the Dodgers today, or even who Trevor started Bauer. for the... Ah, crap. Who started for the Cardinals? Jack Flaherty. All right, we have a chance. Who's catching? Yachty? Yeah. I have no clue. Yeah, it's Yachty. Um, I, I did actually... Oh, shoot. Gavin Lux just hit a one-run bomb. All right, well, this is looking bad for my Cardinals. With that, thank you for joining us. Catch us back here next week. And until then, have a good one. Bye.